this morning, if you if you can't already tell um, what we're talking about by the graphic, I want to talk about the hedge, the hedge. And it goes deeper than just the hedge of protection. And we'll, we'll get to it um, as this morning goes along. The only thing I ask is if you could please just stay with me. I'm going to be, it's a little bit more of a teaching. So there's a little less jumping and shouting. Youth passed a mic. <laughs> um, but I'm going to start this morning where I'm going to end. Because God spoke to me so clearly this week. Um, and I really, really believe he gave me a prophetic message out of this, the hedge. So we'll start and we'll just kind of lay a little bit of a foundation out of Ezekiel 13 and 3. It says, thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit, but yet have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall. For the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. In the MEV version, it says, gone into the gaps to build the hedge for the house of Israel. What is a hedge? A hedge is pretty simple. It kind of looks something like that. It's a wall of shrubbery. Not real hard, right? Um... In biblical times, more often than not, um, the hedges were made of lots of thorns. It was a thorny hedge. It wasn't just a normal, just shrubbery hedge like we have back here, but it would have been um, extremely thorny. There's reason for that. And again, I'm going to finish where we begin. Is that okay? What was the purpose of the hedge? Well, in biblical times, you know, and today we have hedges that go around our property. They go around our houses to provide privacy and things of that sort. Um, I believe today's age, they're made more for privacy than anything else. But in this day and age, when we hear about the hedge, more often than not, it is in reference to a vineyard. And as we go along this morning, if you don't mind, I'm going to be saying a lot of things that are... Um, using a lot of symbolism today. The Bible is full of symbolism, full of, of uh, symbolic metaphors as we go through specifically in the Old Testament where there are certain things that are naturally represented but they mean something much deeper than what they are. For instance, the vineyard is representative of who? The, the vineyard is, is representative of the church. The vine dresser, the one who cultivates the vineyard is representative of amen Jesus so there's there's different symbolism as we go through the as we go through some of this in the Old Testament so if, if just try to look at this through that lens this morning but in the old times they would put this hedge specifically around a vineyard and the vine dresser would do that to keep rodents insects bugs feral hogs, as we see in a scripture here later, foxes, things of this sort, to keep enemies of the vineyard out. Because they would always come to do a couple of different things. To steal the harvest, to defile the harvest, or to consume the harvest. 
Again, I don't know about you, but when you start using words like harvest and vineyard and thorns, there's a lot of symbolism that runs through my mind as I hear that. When I think of the harvest, it sounds prophetic to me as to what God is about to do here on this planet Earth as we speak right now. But we'll get into that in just a little bit. Understand that as Christians, we should and need a hedge of protection around our lives. I want a hedge of protection around me and my wife. I want a hedge of protection around me and my family. I want a hedge of protection around the youth and around the congregation here at Oceans and around our pastors and around this church and around Vero Beach and Florida. I want a hedge of protection around Florida. Hurricanes, hear me. I want a hedge of protection around Florida. You're laughing, but I'm dead serious. I'll speak to the storm. I'm crazy enough to believe that God will go and blow it away. Send it back out into the ocean and let it dissipate out there where it causes no harm and no calamity and no destruction. I want a hedge of protection. I believe in this. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, I said this in first service. I say it often. Anytime I study the Word of God, I pull this Bible up and I use it like a mirror. Because it's real, real easy for us as Christians, and I don't know why we do this, but it's really easy for us to read this Bible and then it's like looking like through a sheet of glass where instead of looking at ourselves, we look at the person behind the Bible as you're reading it. <laughs> Are you with me? And instead of viewing the word and, and, and pointing it back to yourself and seeing potentially flaws or areas in your life that you could cultivate and do better and grow and mature with, we want to look at other people and say, well, I'm doing a lot better than them. Praise God. I'm so much better than Joe Blow down the street. Are you with me? But as I read and studied the word this week and, and specifically as God put this message in my spirit, I was looking at this word and, and I began to behold the, the Bible and look at it as a mirror. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, the gaps that we have in our hedge, or even worse, the absence of the hedge altogether, are due to our own merit. I know, that's not a real shout you down moment. It's okay. But we do things in our own lives that cause gaps in the hedge, that cause areas where the enemy can just walk right through. Remember, the purpose of the hedge was to keep insects, rodents, flies, birds, foxes, things out from stealing the harvest that is inside of the vineyard. Any gaps in that potential wall are weak spots. Any army, we talked last night about tactics for war, principles for victory. So if you have a wall that is surrounding you to help protect you, any gaps or weak areas in that said hedge or wall are open doors. Again, if we're truly honest, we're our own worst nightmare. I love blaming the devil for everything. But let's be honest, if we're living a compromised lifestyle, we cannot get upset with God for our hedge having holes in it. We cannot take things that are contrary to God's word and try to justify them and then get upset with God when we're getting attacked. Well, I'm gonna do it my way and I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z and I don't need to go into all the details of it, 
But now all of a sudden, you know, God doesn't protect me. He's not there. He's never been there for me. Well, no, he has been, but, but we've done it to ourselves. Areas, weaknesses in the wall. So this morning, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation. And then again, we'll get back and we'll, we'll finish where we started. So first and foremost, the personal hedge. And, and I don't believe we can talk about a hedge of protection and not discuss Job. Amazing example and so much information to glean from this. So let's start Job 1 verse 1. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, he feared the Lord, and he shunned evil. First chapter, first verse, four points right out the gate. You want a good hedge of protection in your life? You want God to, to start building a hedge alongside of you? There's some keys right there, right in the first one. He was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, and he shunned evil. So right out the gate, we can already see, is there potential areas in our wall that are flawed? Because if we don't fill that bill, point in case, right out the gate. Is everybody with me? Do you have the fear of the Lord operating in your life? Are you blameless and upright? I standeth before thee. I am not always 100% blameless and upright. I make mistakes too. So, so don't, I'm not condemning anybody. Hear my heart in that. But we see a perfect, a really, really good example of what it looks like to be somebody who's working with God and building a hedge of protection around his family and around the things that are going on in his life. And these were the characteristics that Job had in his life. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And I should have done it. I said it, and I didn't do it, but I should have done it in between services. I was going to look up what the face value of uh, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 uh, female donkeys was worth. Because the reality is, and I think we kind of understand this, that if you take this in the context of when this was wrote, this man was very, very wealthy. Amen. The resources that he had in his possession were extremely valuable. But let's be honest, even in today's day and age, some of the most wealthiest individuals in Okeechobee County are ranchers and they own lots of cattle. So I'm not negating the fact that livestock is still expensive. But we understand that it was exponentially more value in those days. Are we okay with that? So he's very, very, very prosperous. Verse 4. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the day of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. He would come home from work and binge watch Netflix until 2 a.m. in the morning, wake up after hitting the snooze button 17 times and stagger to work, barely even brushing his teeth. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed, I missed the translation. Let me, read, let me read what the Word of God actually says. It says that he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned. It may be possible 
that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Consistent. He didn't do it any, every once in a while when he felt like it. He didn't do it, you know, when he had time in his schedule to make it, you know, work in his schedule. He didn't, he didn't pray and go to God and, and, and fight and war for his children when he felt like it or when he was in the mood. It says he did it regularly. He rose early in the morning and he went to battle for his family. Listen, this should encourage any parent in this place who has wayward children that if you will go to battle for them, if you will go to war for them, God can do something amazing even as it says. Job says, it may be that my sons have cursed you in their heart. Now let me go to war concerning them. Job is such a beautiful example of what we should be doing. And let me just speak to the young people. This principle applies to you as well if you have wayward parents. And I pray to the Lord that that isn't the situation. But if you do and you find yourself in that situation, you can also hit your knees. You can also begin to pray and war for your family that God would place a hedge of protection around even a wayward parent. I'm not telling you to judge them. I'm not telling you to go to them and beat them over the head with a Bible, but your prayers count too. Amen. Job's response is amazing and it's encouraging. God will place a hedge of protection around your family. He'll place a hedge of protection around your finances. He'll place a hedge of protection around those that are even straying away from God. In verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered to the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, I like verse 8. I'm a fan of verse 8. He says, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. Blameless, upright, and one who fears God and shuns and hates you, devil. Please hear my heart. I don't mean this in any form of disrespect to my king in any way, shape, or form. But I cannot help but feel the proud daddy moment as I read verse 8. You know, the game-winning point of the football game and little Tommy scored the touchdown. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. There ain't nobody like him. Are you with me? I feel such a sense of, of, of just pride coming from the Father. Again, I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful toward our king in any way, shape, or form. But I pray that that's how he looks at us. When the devil comes and he tries to attack you and your family, he goes, have you considered my servant? Put your name in the blank. Oh, they're blameless, covered by the blood of the lamb. They're upright. What I call evil, they call evil. They shun the enemy and they run and they operate in a fear of the Lord. I want my daddy. I want the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to look at me and view me through that same lens. It's so powerful. So Satan answered to the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his house, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions 
have increased in the land. Come on, somebody. He built a hedge around him. Job had a hedge of protection around him. And the enemy wanted so bad to get at him and couldn't touch him. In the old days, the vine dresser would cultivate the vineyard. In those days, it was the vine dresser's sole job to get the, the vineyard to produce well. Lots of fruit to bear a good harvest. And not only that, to produce the best grapes that he could possibly get it to produce. If the vine dresser spent all of his time in a vineyard with no hedge and no wall, is it fair to assume that the vine dresser would spend a significant amount of time chasing off the things that are coming to attack the vine? Is it also fair to assume, if we all agree on that, that a significant amount of time more than without was spent trying to f get rid of the pests and the flies and the bugs and the birds and I spend all my time making sure that the vine doesn't get consumed, making sure that all of this stuff doesn't happen to the precious vine because I don't have a hedge up to help protect me. I'm spending all my time trying to deal with the enemy that's coming against the vine that I don't spend the time that is needed and necessary to prune and to cultivate. So instead of the vine in the vineyard beginning to thrive and produce good fruit, it's spending its whole time just trying to survive. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Okay, let's carry on. There is another hedge, and this is the hedge of, of a corporate hedge of protection. Understand the importance of getting connected to the vine. <laughs> you got to get in the vine. The vineyard... I believe is the body of Christ. The vineyard, let's put it another way, is the local church. There is such a value and an importance on getting plugged into a local church and submitting to a local pastor who is being led by the Spirit. And yes, being led by the Spirit, in my personal opinion, is a very large, important key that cannot be neglected. Spirit speaks spirit, yes? Carnal things cannot be, or spiritual things cannot be carnally discerned, yes? So if our shepherd is leading us and guiding us and helping us to grow and be discipled by the word of God and this is a spiritual book that is spiritually discerned why would I want a pastor that is carnally minded I am so thankful I belong to oceans and I have a Holy Ghost filled pastor here that leads us and guides us being led by the spirit did you know that the word is full about believers being led by the spirit read Galatians chapter 5 if it's, a if it's necessary for a believer to be led by the Spirit, how much more the pastor who is shepherding the flock? Amen. There's a corporate hedge of protection that is available to you 
when you are part of a body, living a life of submission to a God-ordained spiritual authority that is being led by the Spirit. Now, I am very biased. I love oceans. This is my house. This is my DNA. This is our pastors. And th- I, you can't pull me anywhere out. This is it for me. It's, my, it's in my blood. But I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are local churches all over the globe and there are local pastors all over the globe, all over Fort Pierce, Vero, Sebastian, the Indian River County, the east coast of Florida, the whole of Florida, where there are pastors that are led by the Spirit. My main point in saying this is get plugged into a church. Don't float from place to place to place to place and you don't understand why you're not growing and why you're not thriving. You keep uprooting the vine over and over and over again and every time you uproot that vine and try to get plugged in somewhere else, you never give yourself a chance to grow. you got to get plugged in. I don't understand the theology of I can just float around and go from place to place to place to place and feel happy and shake and bake on the ground and I'm going to be all that God has called me to be. Well, where's the pruning? Come on. Come on. And there's a corporate hedge of protection that is available to you when you're a part of a body. I don't understand why we wouldn't want to be a part of the body. I don't understand even worse why we would speak against the body. Do not neglect the gathering of the saints. The church ought to be full, packed. Ezekiel 22 and 30 says this. Now understand right here what we're about to read. God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And he's prophesying judgment over people who God has called to do something and they didn't do it. Let's take a look at it. It says, I sought for a man among them who would build up the hedge and stand in the gap before me. Not for their own personal being, not for their own provision, not for their family, but for the land. So that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Now understand, I say that to prove the point that there is a corporate anointing among those whose God is called to lead an area for a movement of God. I know without a shadow of a doubt, God has put a calling and a vision in our pastor here at Oceans. So with that also comes the grace and the authority to pray for a hedge of protection around our church and around our region. When we attach ourselves to that DNA, when we attach ourselves to the body, we also fall under the umbrella of that same protection. It's such a powerful resource. Let me say this, though. Is this making sense? Is this helping anybody? Okay. There's got to come a time, though, as a body of believers that we no longer come to church to be a spectator with our hand out trying to see what we can get, but we put on our war boots and strap them up and come find a seat and say, okay, right, I came to get under that house of protection as well because there's a corporate anointing available to help protect my household and my family that's a valuable resource that I can tap into but you know what one will set a thousand to flight but two will send ten thousand to flight I'm not real good at math but that's exponential growth 
that means that when you decide to put your war boots on and join the battle and come alongside the vision that God has ordained and placed inside of our pastor, that means all of a sudden there's exponential growth and our hedge is growing exponentially. One plus one is two. Two times two is four. That's slow growth. But when you do four squared, I'm not real good at math, but I'm good enough at it to understand exponential growth. And we're coming into a time and a season where the body of Christ has got to see exponential growth and that we come alongside the senior leadership of the church and say, you know what? I'm not here just to be a spectator with my hand out to get what I can get. I come alongside so that I can be a partaker. I'm going to go to war with you, pastor. I'm going to fight with you, pastor. I'm not only going to fall under that corporate anointing, that corporate hedge, I'm also going to be a part in building it. That's right. I'm going to be like the, the warriors that Nehemiah assembled to be out begin it's got to be so much bigger there's also a hedge for your region I think about the story with Abraham in Genesis 19 18 and 19 and he began to bargain with God for Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, he, whittled his, he whittled his way down to if God would save the city for ten righteous. Again, that's, that's one fighting for the city. Can you imagine what it would look like? Let me reword that. For those of you who come to the prayer meetings, do you see what it looks like? Yes. On Wednesdays and on Saturdays, and when our pastor, our leader, is here praying and interceding and pushing the body to be a part of that same vision, you see the power that's locked up behind that. Amen. It's got to be so much bigger than just me. Right. Did you know that Oceans Unite Christian Center is a church that is also under a corporate hedge as well? As we're connected to LFCC and Fivefold Ministries International, and we have Pastor Harold, who is a man of God that prays. That man prays. Our church as a covering also falls under that corporate hedge of protection. And as the body of Christ, we can pray and change the spiritual atmosphere of our region by what comes out of our mouth. What I can tell you will not happen is anything changing because of good intentions? Amen? I can have the best intentions in the world, but if I don't actually do something, nothing's going to happen. And I don't want to see a few try to carry the load for all of us. Is this okay? Many hands make, make light work. Pastor Naomi says it all the time. Anytime we do any kind of a big church function, the live nativity scene. I, I can hear her voice ringing in my head. Many hands make light work. You start packing out five, six hundred chairs. Two people can do it and take all day to do it. Or ten people can do it and take half a day. A hundred people can do it and have it done in 20 minutes. It's exponential. 
Can you imagine the same value put on prayer when five people show up to a prayer meeting and they begin to pray that a hedge of protection would go up, that the spiritual atmosphere would begin to change? What about 100? What about 200? There's five, six, seven, eight, 100. How many people do we have on a weekend here at Oceans? Oh, I long for the day that our prayer meetings have more people than the services. Oh, I long for the day. I don't know that that'll ever happen, but it's a nice thought, right? <laughs> it's got to happen where we begin to realize, you know, one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to get you to believe that you're smaller than you are. Right. There's a lot inside of you. You're not as small as the enemy makes you think you are. I'm not talking about a pulpit. I'm not talking about a platform. I'm talking about your closet. There's so much more in you than you're tapping into. And I know that because it's, it's exponential. There's so much more that's in me than I'm tapping into. I know it. I can feel it. And I cannot allow myself to get complacent because I pray so long a day and just wipe my hands and say, I did my due diligence. There's people that are unsaved. There are people that are lost. Amen. The enemy's doctrine is still getting preached in the schools. Okay. I'm going to finish where we started. And I really believe with all my heart that this is a prophetic message for the church, what I'm about to share. Psalm 80 and verse 12. And this is what God showed me at the beginning of the week. He says, why have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass by the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the woods ravages it. And the insects of the field devour it. Return again, O God of hosts, and look down from heaven. And behold, and have regard for this vine. And the root that your right hand has planted and the shoots that made that you made strong for yourself. What does the hedge have to do with the vine other than the natural symbolism of the church and God the Father? I studied this this week and was shocked into a new dimension as I dove into this and began to, to really pull this apart. Again, the vine dresser's sole job was to make sure that the vine prospered, that it was healthy, that it was pruned, cultivated, and would bear not only fruit, but lots of it and good fruit. Because what purpose is a vineyard if you get rotten grapes? And I, the symbolism throughout the Bible is of the hedge. And we oftentimes, when we read about the vineyard, we see the hedge. But until we understand the heart behind the vine dresser and the multifaceted levels of the hedge, we don't really get the full picture of it. When I think of a hedge that goes around a vineyard, I just think of some bushes. When I studied it, they would always start with a fortified wall of rock. Now, I don't know about you, 
but I've heard about the rock in the Bible as well. And there's symbolism all throughout the Bible of what the rock does. But it's interesting that they place this rock, this fortified rock wall, all the way around the vineyard. Then following the rock, they would plant a hedge of thorns that would also circumnavigate around the vineyard. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of something that is circular and fashion full of thorns... I have some imagery that comes to my head of something that surrounded somebody and that blood was shed for a vine, a crown of thorns that went around our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, there's imagery in this. We have the rock of our salvation. We have this, this thorny hedge that goes around it. And it's all there to protect and to redeem, to see prosperity, to see the, the vineyard do that with which the vine dresser has been trying to get it to do. Oh, but it gets so much sweeter. Because at the time of the harvest, I have never had the opportunity to be at a vineyard during the time of the harvest. However, I've read about it, and I have been in an orange grove at the time of the harvest. I have been at an apple orchard at the time of the harvest. I have been at a field of strawberries at the time of the harvest. And in all three instances, regardless of the fruit, there is an aroma. There is an aroma that comes out of the vineyard, that comes out of the grove, that comes out of the strawberry field, that comes out of the orchard. There is a sweet smelling aroma at the time of harvest that allows all of those in its vicinity to know that it is time. But understand that as it is time, all of those that are around can also recognize the time. The flying insects, the birds of the air, the foxes in the trenches, the wild boar in the field, the very things that want to come against to consume, to defile, and to steal the harvest that's about to break out on that vine, the enemy can also smell it. And this is where the revelation hit me like a ton of lead because the vine dresser does the things necessary for the wild boar and the foxes and those of things that attack at the ground level. He puts up a fortified wall in a hedge of thorns to keep those things out at ground level. But what about the birds of the air? What about the insects that might get over the hedge? I came here this morning to tell you that at the time of harvest, when the aroma is in the air, 
when you can smell it, that sweet-smelling aroma, the vine dresser begins to build fires with inside of the wall, inside of the vineyard. He places fires strategically inside of the vineyard. And then he begins to take green shrubbery and he places it on a fire that burns hot. And there's a smoke that comes out of the vineyard. There's a glory that comes out of the vineyard. I'm here to tell you this morning that at the time of harvest, and I believe the time is now, there's a fire that will hit the vineyard, the body of Christ, and the vine dresser will come down, approve that fire, put green shrubbery on it, and there'll be a glory, the smoke of the glory of the Holy Ghost. And it comes up, and as it does in those flying things, the birds and the insects, they get lost in the smoke. They get diverted in the smoke, and they go back to where they came from. God, let it be. God, let it be. God, I smell an aroma. God, I smell an aroma. I smell an aroma in the vineyard. God, I smell an aroma of a harvest that is about to break out. God, I smell an aroma. God, put a fire in your church. Start a fire in your church in Jesus' name. God, let the smoke of your glory hit the church in Jesus' name. God, we pray this morning that you would place a hedge of protection around our pastor, around this church, around the families here. But God, that you would start a fire. God, the time is now. I can smell the aroma of the harvest in the air. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would see your fire and we would see the smoke of your glory come in in a mighty and a rushing wave, Father, that would send the enemy back to where he came from in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. Father, I thank you for every person who came out this morning. God, I ask that you would bless them, that you would protect them, that you would hide them. God, that you would use them, that you would instill a passion in them to get in the fight. The time is now. It's not yesterday, and it's not tomorrow. It's right now. Bless every person, and they're coming and they're going. Let the joy of the Lord be their portion. And a peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding be upon them this next week in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And God, we will always stand and give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen and amen. amen. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next weekend. In Christ's love.